John Henry's pappy woke him up one midnight. He said, before the sheriff comes, I want to tell you. Said, listen, boy, learn to hoist a jack and learn to lay a track. Learn to pick and shovel too and take that hammer. It'll do anything you tell it to. John Henry's mammy had about a dozen babies. John Henry's pappy broke jail a dozen times. The babies all got sick and when the doctor wanted money, he said, I'll pay you a quarter at a time starting tomorrow. That's a pay for a steel driver on this line. Then a section foreman said, hey, hammer swinger. Said, I see you brought your own hammer, boy, but what else can all them muscles do? And he said, I can hoist a jack and I can lay a track. I can pick and shovel too. He said, can you swing that hammer? And he said, do anything you hire me to. You so high and mighty with all them muscles Go ahead, boy, pick up that hammer and show me what you can do He said, get a rusty spike and swing that hammer down three times Pay you a nickel a day for every inch you sink it to Go on and do what you say you can do With a steep-nosed hammer on a four-foot switch handle John Henry raised it back till it touched his heels and Spike went through the cross tie and it split it half in two. Thirty-five cents a day for driving steel. That sweat, boy, sweat. You owe me two more swings. Said I was born for driving steel. Well, now John Henry hammered in the mountains. He'd give a grunt and he'd give a groan with every swing. The women folks for miles around and dirty men come down. Said, what you make the cold steel ring, Lord, what a swinger. What you make the cold steel ring. Then the bad boss come up laughing at John Henry. He said, you full of vinegar now, but you bow through. We gonna get a steam drill to do your share of driving. Then what's all them muscles gonna do, huh, John Henry? Gonna take a little bit of vinegar out of you. John Henry said I feed four little brothers And my baby sister's walking on her knees Now did the Lord say that machines ought to take the place of living Then what's a substitute for bread and beans? I ain't seen it Do engines get rewarded for their steam? captain said a man ain't nothing but a man but you can bring that steam drill around and i'll beat it fair and honest i'll die with that hammer in my hand but i'll be laughing because you can't replace a steel driving man there was a big crowd of people at the mountain john henry said to the steam drill how is you said pardon me mr steam drill i suppose you didn't hear me i said how are you huh can you hoist a jack? Can you lay a track? Can you pick and shovel too? Huh? Listen, this hammer swinger's talking to you. I'm at the finish line and ain't no drill It's so far behind but you ain't got the brains to quit it When she blows up she'll scatter across the hills Lord, Lord, when she blows up she'll scatter across the hills John Henry, John Henry's Hammer Inks.citr 101.9, it's about 6 past 2 um, Me here with Colin And we have a special guest today, Rick Gear. I'm going to bring him on are you there, Rick? Yes, I'm here. Hello, Rick. Hi. Thanks. Hi. 
Thanks this for coming and joining us. This is uh, Colin. Hello. Hey, Colin. How you doing? I'm I'm doing well, thanks. Well, thank you for doing the interview. Well, it's my pleasure. Now, I tried to start the show out with uh, John Henry's Hammer by Johnny Cash, because going through your work, a focus primarily is 19th century history, and something about John Henry just strikes me as <laughs> along the same topic. Was that a, 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 a suitable choice? I, I would say. I love it. Okay, excellent. Now, um, we're going to go through your work. Um, just for people listening, Ink Studs is the radio show where we chat about comics, and Mr. Rick Geary, you uh, have been doing comics, I'm going to say, what, 30 years? Is um, that a good guesstimate? I would say close to that, 29 years. We'll just say 30 then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the first time I saw your work was in the pages of National Lampoon? Um, yeah, that was uh, among the first times, yes. Now, the stuff in National Lampoon... Um, We'll touch that a little bit. Most of your stuff is... I don't, I'd never actually read your stuff in National Lampoon. Was it humor like the, the majority of stuff in National Lampoon, or...? Um, well, it was definitely humor, but uh, I was kind of a misfit for the Lampoon in that my work was very wholesome. I would say there uh, wasn't a lot of uh, sexual content or gross-out content in it. Was a lot of that material collected at, at Home with Rick Geary? Uh, yeah, that was the first collection. It was called At Home with Rick Gary, and then there was a, a second collection, which was pretty much a repeat of the first collection, called Housebound with Rick Gary. Both most of those were uh, both of those were printed by uh, Fantagraphics books. We have uh, At Home here, and I don't think we have Housebound, do we? No, we have mainly we our main stuff. I think we want to chat about is your current line of. Victorian murder thrillers right. that you've been doing with uh, NBM. Their, uh, is it Artist Lit Series? A Treasury of Victorian Murder. Yes, that's the name of the series. And I've been uh, bringing out uh, a book almost about every other year since uh, 1995. Wow. So, so what fascinates you about the, the period? Oh, gosh. Um... I don't know. I've always been well. I've always been a true crime aficionado uh, to begin with, and uh, the crimes of the 19th century were very appealing to me. Uh, mostly because I just loved the trappings of the 19th century. You know, the costumes, the uh, furniture, the buildings, the interiors, the, um, all the knickknacks and. Uh, uh, little details of life, and plus the the distance in time gives you a kind of a detachment, I think, and and uh, it gives me a little freedom to depict these um, bloody and gory crimes uh, in a uh, in a more detached way. Well, yeah, I I think that's very true, considering. Your work has a quality which I don't find in a lot of American strips, and, and I guess I would call it whimsy. Uh, yeah, I, I try to uh, for quality of whimsy, yes. But into a very dark subject. Yes. Yeah, that that's. Uh, I don't know if uh, it it all goes together, but uh, that's certainly what I try for. But uh, yeah, I think. It, but it, it works with the distance in time. I don't know if you could do that for I don't know the the Kennedy assassination. Well, well, no. And I'm I'm thinking, you know, of uh, yeah, anything more recent like uh, O.J. or uh, or uh, any of the uh, murders that have been in the headlines over the past few years. No, it just wouldn't work. Now, one of your books, the uh, Lizzie Borden, um, or I guess the Borden. Family tragedies was that the name called the Borden tragedy. Yeah. The Borden tragedies. You on the back just subtly make some relations between uh, O.J. and and Borden. Um, was that kind of to bring that uh, kind of that mayhem to light of um, just how how it has a present day relation with well, like the lack of change in the justice system? <laughs> well, that 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 was uh, certainly a part of it. Yeah, I just wanted to. Uh, all those similarities just kind of leapt out at me, and uh, and it was when I was doing the book, as it it was at the time of the O.J. trial, and it was just a way to uh, you know create a contemporary connection there, and uh, you know I I thought it was uh, appropriate at the time. I also wonder if perhaps murder. 
has lost some of its, well, I don't know, for lack of a better word, sort of romanticism of the detective because now you've got so much scientific-based detective work? Well, well, I don't know. I, I'm... Has Sherlock Holmes been replaced by CSI? Is that what you're saying, Colin? <laughs> yeah. Well, Sherlock Holmes was kind of the first CSI. He was the first uh, fictional detective to use the, you know, the uh, rational and scientific means to solve crimes. Um, and I've also done uh, a Sherlock Holmes story uh, in graphic form. Oh, uh, graphics. Was that Classics it, Illustrated? It's a series called Graphic Classics. Oh. Which has kind of uh, uh, taken over the void uh, left when Classics Illustrated died. And uh, it's, been, it's a series of volumes that uh, treats a particular author in each volume. And uh, they've done, gosh, I'm not sure how many volumes, maybe about ten so far. Which publisher is it that put those? Uh, it's up? called Eureka Publications. It's out of Wisconsin. Okay. I haven't heard of it. And, uh, well... I'll have to check it out. Yes. Keep, keep my eyes open. Now, your historical... Historical narratives, would that be an okay way of stating... Uh, that's a good way to put it, yeah. Um, you do a fair amount of research into it. Now you're saying it's about two years to a book of work? Uh, I would say about a year and a half. Um, maybe about uh, six months of actual reading and research, and then... And then a year of uh, of writing, and then of uh, drawing. So, for your research history, um, what kind of uh, like uh, just curious, like any kind of like academic experience do you have before going into comics, or while going into comics to kind of help you with that process? Or is this something you've kind of done on your own of like creating your own style of researching? Yeah, I would say uh, that it's pretty much my own. I didn't really have any. I don't have an academic background per se, uh, as far as historical research is concerned. Um, I just read everything I can on any particular subject and then organize it into a narrative. And that's kind of a fun stage in the process. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it. Well, one of, one of the things that I'm impressed with in stories like The Beast of Chicago is you tackle some pretty complex narratives. Well. The Beast of Chicago, especially because there, uh, that that story was just so complicated, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, sources to check, and a lot of them were contradictory and conflicting, and it was a matter of sorting it all out. Which was, I'm not really sure if I did, but uh, I just wanted to make it all into a followable. Well, why don't we let the people know what the Beast of Chicago is for the listeners that don't have the the book in front? That's the the story of uh, the murderous career of H. H. Holmes. Now he is known as like one of the first American serial killers. Uh, yes, he is credited as being the first American serial killer, even though you know there's no way to know. Uh, he was the first uh, person who was actually put on trial for for multiple killings over a period of time, and uh, he operated um, a hotel and rooming house in Chicago during the period of the 1893 World's Fair. And uh, he's credited, if that's the proper term, with doing away with uh, upwards of 50 people over the course of that time. And it may have been even more. Some people have really gone wild and, and speculated that it could have been 100 or maybe even 200. Wow. But uh, 50 seems more... Feasible. More along the lines of reality. Are, are you ever tempted to, I don't know, change the story, to simplify it? Um, well, there's a certain amount of simplification that, that is required just to make a graphic novel out of a mountain of information. But uh, I try to, you know, to pay tribute to all the complexities of a story, to the different theories and the different... Uh, points of view that um, that I come across in my research, like in Jack the Ripper, which was the first volume I did, um, I didn't really have any particular theories of my own, but I did uh, 
you know, give space to all the competing theories that are out there that have been put forward over the years. Well, Jack the Ripper must be one of the most written about crime sprees in history. Boy, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, so there's just, there's no, uh, you know, limit of information out there. I'm just curious of your thoughts on, because it's, you know, the same topic, and it's, you know, Victorian murder, on Alan Moore's From Hell book, his oh, take right. on that. Yeah, I think that's a great series of books, and I'm a big fan of Eddie Campbell, and uh, uh, I think they did a great job. Of course, they had a particular theory, a mm -hmm. particular point of view to put across, and uh, um, I think they it's a, just a remarkable achievement. Even though, uh, you know, it's certainly not the way, not my approach. Well, I think that that's one thing people, the, the, the difference between your book and something like that is yours is very much factual based, um, very clearly written. And, and with From Hell, it's, it's got, you know, annotations and citing, right. but yeah. it's a lot of fictional, especially, you know, the delusions and things like that. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, it's not like uh, you know that that uh, story that they told the, the theory behind it about the involvement of the royal family and, and the uh, royal surgeon is uh, you know one that's been out there for a while mm -hmm. and uh, they you know they did it up in such incredible detail it's just awesome. I am curious about um, influences of yours getting into comics um you know kind of what got you into comics who are some creators that have really stuck out for you and uh, i've got the spark generators two books we can talk a little bit about your uh your story that you have in here uh yes i, I do pay tribute to edward gorey uh, who i don't know i think if i go back to my very earliest inspirations to do stories uh graphic type stories i think he was the major Influence back in the early '70s when I first encountered his work, um, because he, you know, he doesn't work in the conventional comic book format, um, but he tells, uh, you know, small scale stories in a in a kind of a detached way, and and this, you know, this detachment is what I was always aiming for, um, and his ink work is just. You know, unparalleled, and uh, the little books. His, uh, you know, his stories came out originally in the form of little individual books before they were collected, and um, that inspired me to uh, do little self-published books of my own. Really? Have they ever been collected? Um, oh, some of them were collected and reprinted in the, those fantagraphic collections, and they were what. Uh, were uh, were originally shown to the editors at the National Lampoon, uh, which uh, enabled me to become one of their contributors. Was this before the mini-comic revolution? Well, I don't know. We're, we're talking about the mid to late 70s, so it was kind of parallel to all that, I think. Kind of post-underground, pre-mini-comic. Yeah. Your own little era there. Right. <laughs> Now, uh, so Gory is a, is one influence. Um, who are some other people growing up? Like, would I would Charles Adams be an apt one to throw in there? Uh, yeah, I was always a big fan of his. Uh, I'm not sure how much of his work is kind of leaked into mine. Um, I was a big fan of Windsor McKay, uh, the old New York cartoonist from the turn of the century, and. Uh, and a cartoonist, a cartoonist named Glyas Williams. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was a worker uh, in the 1920s, 1930s. Colin's looking dumbfounded. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. And uh, Robert Crumb, of course. He was, uh, you know, my introduction to uh, underground and uh, all the, you know, new vistas that were opened up during that period. Now. Um, Colin, I think you were mentioning you might have something new coming out soon that you'd want to promote or let us know, talk about a new project on the horizon. Um, 
well, actually, the project I'm working on now, which will be out this summer, is is very uh, different from uh, this whole uh, Victorian murder series. It's uh, Gumby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's the first in a series, what we hope will be a series of comic books, with, with comic books which are coming out uh, to celebrate Gumby's 50th anniversary, which is this year. And I'm working with Bob Burden, who's been writing the series, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's certainly a, you know, a different direction for it's, me. Is, is Bob Burden uh, an interesting guy to work with? Oh uh, yeah, he's great. I've I've known him for years, and we've always talked about collaborating on something. Well, you did at least one issue of the Junior Carrot Patrol, I believe. Yeah, I actually I did two issues oh. of that, uh, but they were we. I guess we started out talking about uh, me working from a script of his, but somehow that script didn't get written, so I ended up doing both of those just uh, on my own. So this is really the first time we've actually had a collaboration, and uh, I think he's he's done right by Gumby. He really uh, has immersed <laughs> himself in the Gumby universe and created some nice, you know, innocently surreal storylines. Tales of Gumby Woe. Yeah. How is Mr. Burden doing? We heard he was in the hospital. Uh, he's he's recovering. I've. Uh, my latest update I heard is that he's he's doing well. He he did have some surgery recently. We we hope for a, a rapid uh, recovery yes. from the ink studs. Yes. Um, we all do. We, uh, yeah. Um, style. I've noticed uh, looking at the murder of Abraham Lincoln. Um, it's re it's a far different style from the rest of your stuff. Um, and seem to be going from less stylized artwork to more just telling a very clean story mm -hmm. is that kind of an accurate description of, of what you're doing while creating that one um well i'm not sure what you mean by a clean story i found you know the lincoln uh there was almost too much information uh for lincoln and i really had a, a hard time getting as much as i could into a as much as I did into a volume. Well, that, that's kind of what I mean, is that it's really focused on being really tight with the detail, with um, the process of everything that happened. Mm -hmm. um, it, it really reads like a, a book with pictures to me, in a, in a good way. Um, not to take away from the comic narrative, but, but that it's there's a lot of information, and it's really... It's... A, well, an entry-level historical book I, in some it, aspect. I, I think in some ways it seems The Murder of Abraham Lincoln is a more perhaps serious book than the other Victorian murder books that uh, are more whimsical, well, yeah, perhaps. You're, you're probably right. Uh, I, you know, There wasn't really as much opportunity for whimsy, as you, as you say, in this story. And it just there's just so much, so much territory to cover. It, I just kind of let the narrative carry it along and uh and since most of the the characters in the story are uh are actual you know they're historical figures to the extent that their their look is historically documented you know i couldn't really uh use you know uh a free reign in, in creating the characters, you know, because they were all there in the historical record. So uh, is your is your work uh, scrutinized carefully by history buffs? Do they get back to you? Uh, no, I, in, in some cases, yeah, some of the, uh, for Jack the Ripper, some, I did get some uh, feedback from uh, ripperologists, as they call themselves. <laughs> ripperologists? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, on some of the other books, I, I have asked uh, for assistance from uh, different people in the in the uh, planning of the book, you know, beforehand. Uh, people who have uh, been uh, uh, experts in the field, so to speak, like with the uh, Beast of Chicago and uh, and with uh, 
what was the other? Oh, the the book called about Madeline Smith, which is coming out this summer. Madeline Smith? Yeah, she was a uh, this uh, Glasgow woman who uh, poisoned her lover. It's kind of an obscure case uh, to people over here, but it's uh, pretty famous over in England and Scotland. And uh, there, I found a. Uh, man who had written a book about it and he and I corresponded quite a bit while I was in the sketch stage and that should be out this summer it's called The Case of Madeline Smith and that's also going to be part of the MBM's uh, comics lit line yes okay a, a treasury of Victorian murder yeah I, I felt I should bring this series actually back to England where where the Victorian label is a little more appropriate yeah that I, I I can concur with that. <laughs> they didn't have the same. I guess the in, in England there's a lot more of that Puritan Victorian standards than there were in the United States. Oh yeah. Is it difficult? Uh, is it uh, the new book? Is it going to be narrated in? Because one of the things I really appreciate about your series is the 19th century voice that the characters speak in. Um, yeah, I, I try to recreate a kind of a 19th century voice. I, I don't know if you noticed, but in the uh, Jack the Ripper book and in the Lizzie Borden book, I uh, kind of I, I, I couch them both in a, in a voice of someone who is actually on the scene at the time. Like Jack the Ripper is written as a journal by someone, uh, by this, I don't know, this anonymous person who actually lived in London. And then the Lizzie Borden is uh, told by a woman who is a friend of Lizzie's. You know, it's all fictional, of course. And uh, the publisher kind of ran into trouble there. He had kind of made the books fall into this weird crack between fiction and nonfiction, and so I got rid of that device. Oh. And so I've just been telling the stories, uh, you know, through the voice of a um, of an omniscient narrator, but with a I try to retain a 19th century. Uh, which is Voice to a, a funny note to that is actually I'm taking history courses in college right now, and my uh, history prof in my last semester for the paper we we were actually instructed to do it from a voice of a person during a certain time period. So whatever oh, uh -huh. you, you did, so I did one about the Winnipeg General Strike of 1919. Really oh, exciting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did it from like one of the strikers from their point of view, and that was something that, that she really wanted people to do to kind of understand how people were relating to the events, less of, um, you know, really focus on the events themselves than the the, the figureheads in the events. That's great. That's a good way to do it, yeah. yeah. Are there any Victorian topics that you would like to do um, books on, but you're finding that you're pretty limited for research material? Because you're going for to be very solid and able to back up the thing you're saying. Um... You mean as far as a future murder is concerned? Future, well, just a, a, a topic, you know, a murderous topic of the Victorian era that you just don't have the, the amount of material to be able to put together a fair amount of books to fill in the gaps of what happened. Uh, no, I, I, I don't really have a, a particular case that uh, I feel that way about, but I, I know there are there are, there's plenty of material out there. Uh, I mean, there are plenty of murder cases out there to cover. It's just that, as you say, there isn't as much uh, information or there isn't as much complexity uh, to the story that would uh, enable it to be told in an 80-page graphic novel. So it's that's one of the reasons I'm trying to uh, talk the publisher into... Um, moving the series into the 20th century, or at least the early 20th century, um, just so we can, I can find more material. And uh, that's, you know, the first, like, 30 years of the 20th century, or maybe, uh, you know, maybe about that much. They're, they're really a rich period for, for crime. <laughs> about the 18th century. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I could go back, I guess. <laughs> well, that, that kind of brings another question up for me, is what, what is it about the Victorian era? To me, it really signifies 
uh, a new age of um, monstrosity of like this whole like you know serial killers was really that whole concept started in the Victorian era and there's a, there's something about the Victorian era being the uh, initiation I don't know am I full of myself here or does it seem like what is it that stands out as the Victorian era starting this whole is it part of the industrial revolution of the murderous revolution I don't know well I think uh you know, uh, social historians have, have kind of confirmed that uh, in a lot of ways. The Industrial Revolution and the urbanization of life kind of made for an atmosphere of social dislocation. You know, the, uh, the family unit wasn't as strong and people were displaced and uh, it made for a more, uh, you know, more pathology, more, more... Uh, psychosis going on in the society in general and maybe that's why we see some of these unusual and bizarre crimes that pop up and also you know part of the victorian uh, mentality was uh to uh keep your passions hidden keep uh you know keep your real life under wraps uh under a you know, a cloak of propriety and reserve and so, that aspect of it has always been fascinating to me. So it's kind of like lash, kind of lashing out from the Puritan um, standards and kind of like just... Well, oh. well perhaps, I, I, I mean, to me it's always been the, the contrast between high Victorian morals and what was actually happening. Yeah, yeah. The, the You know, the lip service they gave and, uh, you know, the... Um, the sexuality of the era, how uh, that was uh, all kind of uh, kept underground, kind of. I think that was part of the turn on. Now, I'm just going to, do you want to take a break at all while we're talking? Uh, like five minutes, I can put on a song, or would you like to keep talking? Um, oh, I can keep talking as long as you guys can. <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep yakking. Now, um, collaborations. You're talking about collaborating with uh, with Bob Burden and also uh, Craven. Uh, that was put out by Dark Horse uh, with Mike Richardson. Right. Yeah. Now, is collaboration something you kind of steer away from, or are you a frequent collaborator? Um, no, I'm always up for collaborating with a writer. I've I've done it a few times before, although. You know, I always feel more comfortable working, uh, you know, from, you know, drawing from my own writing. It just, uh, you know, it just feels more natural to me. Although with uh, with Bob Burden, it's worked out very well, I think. Uh, we're both kind of on the same wavelength with, uh, with Gumby. <laughs> and uh, the, the project I did with Mike Richardson, he... He provided the historical background and all the research uh, on this man's life, and but he permitted me to actually write the script, do the panel breakdowns, and write the narration and dialogue. He basically gave you like a paper on the topic, and you. Yeah, he gave me a, a biography he'd written about this this man, Arthur Cravan, as he pronounces it, although. Looks like Craven to me. Yeah, it looks like Craven to me. <laughs> I pronounce it Craven. Perhaps Cravan is the French. Yeah. Yes. Uh, who was someone I have to admit I'd never heard of before uh, Mike brought the project up to me. But apparently it's someone he'd been doing research on for years and years, and he'd always wanted to, uh, you know, to make a project out of it in some form or another. Um, I just. Uh, um I hope I don't offend anyone, but it's just Bob Burden. It's hard for me to imagine two people whose work was less similar. <laughs> I mean, his whole way of working seems very freeform. Uh, yeah, this is true, but uh, you know, for Gumby, you know, there are some pretty strict guidelines you have to follow because you know he's been around for fifty years and. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen any of the Gumby short uh, claymation films. Uh, you know, they're uh, they're very gentle, they're very sweet, but they have a kind of a 
surreal edge to them. And, and uh, I don't know, you'll just have to see the finished product. I think uh, Bob does it very well. <laughs> so it's hard to imagine, maybe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've had a good time working together. Now, have there been any other past collaborations? Other than uh, Mr. Burden and uh, Mike Richardson that you've done? Like, I want to see if we can get, like, a good coverage of all the work. I mean, we've got the Victorian murders, and let me just go over the ones that we have here in our stack. Reaching across the desk, Colin brought in his hole. <laughs> Colin is a fountain of comics libraryisms. I know he's got tons. We've got Cravon, uh, the murder of Abraham Lincoln, the fatal bullet, the saga of um, President Garfield. Um, which I really, I, I really enjoyed that that kind of um, parallel between Garfield and his assassin, um, the mystery of Mary Rogers, um, Jack the Ripper, and the Borden tragedy, um, and then three books from Fantagraphics, Household with Rick or Housebound with Rick Beery, At Home with Rick Beery, and a what's that say, Colin? A tragedy of Victorian the treasury, murder. The first treasury, treasury by oh, that, NBM. That was volume one, uh, which came out back in 1987. That was a compilation of three different uh, cases. And then uh, after that came out, there was a gap of about seven years before I did the next one. Um, uh, yeah, it seems like you have... Yeah. You know, pretty much all the volumes, uh, except there's the Classics Illustrated series, which I... I have those at home. I, I was just wondering if, if I could get back to uh, the murder of Abraham Lincoln. I was wanting to ask, was it difficult portraying someone as well-known and revered as Lincoln? Is, is it possible to do a fair representation of the man? Uh, gee, uh, well... I, I think it is. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I tried to, you know, he, his, Lincoln himself is kind of a, I, I won't say a peripheral character, but in the assassination story, he's, he's, uh, it's more like the story of John Wilkes Booth. Um, although I, you know, I do take in the incidents of, uh, Lincoln's, you know, uh, activities during the day of the assassination but it doesn't really delve into his personality too much and how no one got along with his wife well yeah there is that incident uh, with uh, his wife going a little bonkers and that uh, you know offers a little sidelight to their relationship um, and it uh, it's a little uh, incident that uh, is uh, you know a kind of a precursor to uh, to what happens on the day of the assassination when uh, uh, General Grant and his wife uh, declined the invitation to attend the theater with them. Um, a little background to that. Um, but there's, you know, there's so much out there about Lincoln, and especially, it seems like over the past couple of years, there's just been this avalanche of new stuff. And uh, I don't know, I just hope I've, uh, I've, Treated the incident in a in a historically fair way. Staying away from the uh, pop, the the new uh, concept is that uh, John Wilkes Booth was a scorned lover. <laughs> you haven't heard that, Colin? I no. haven't heard that lover of 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 Abraham Lincoln. Oh, oh, what? gee, that's new. I haven't heard that at all. Where did oh, I've that heard come that. from. Well, he's you know, don't you know about the Lincoln or the Lincoln Log, Lincoln Cabin Republicans? The gay Republicans. Oh, yeah, and I've all heard that. of them. Well, there's uh, I've heard conspiracy theories that uh, John Wilkes Booth was uh, a you know one of his uh, <laughs> boys of ill repute. Would that be a good term? Is that from the same people that said the Third Reich was a gay conspiracy? <laughs> there's a book out on that. I'm going to stay away from that one. Um, I have a couple things. Our uh, one of our co-hosts, Don, just called, who uh, you met in uh, at Ape. I think he went and yacked with you for a couple minutes. Oh, uh huh. And uh, he uh, mentioned that the murder of Abraham Lincoln uh, five times. I think it was picked by people in the 2005 uh, Comics Journal Book of the Year or in their top picks of the year. Oh, I didn't know that. So you got some uh, some love from from the Comics Journal. 
Also, uh, Don wants to know what kind of do you have any formal training artistically? Well, I I I, I guess you could say I do. I did uh, graduate in with a degree in fine arts from the University of Kansas. I was in the uh, like the commercial art uh, uh, end of the fine arts school, and I did uh, at back at that time. Uh, planned to be a cartoonist, although I didn't really know what all that entailed or what I wanted to actually cartoon about. Um, although, uh, you know, I just kind of let that drop for a while. For a few years, I tried. I was in another field of endeavor entirely. So then I came back to uh, cartooning uh, when I worked for a newspaper in the early 70s. And uh, that's what kind of started me on the on the road, and uh, so I, I would say I'm maybe 75% self-taught in, as far as my uh, pen and ink style is concerned. I, I always imagined you living in a Victorian mansion somewhere <laughs> on the East Coast. Wow, I wish. But you're in San Diego. Yeah. Most anti-Victorian city <laughs> I, of them all, probably. I mean, I've been to San Diego for the conven comic convention, of course, and it's quite a bit like Vancouver in that it doesn't have much of a history. Uh, well, well, it, it does. It's just not, you know, all that uh, fascinating history, <laughs> I guess. Um, I live in a kind of an old neighborhood, and there are some nice 19th century houses around here. But I know what you mean. It's a pretty contemporary city. Um, well, how did but, you wind you know, up there? I, pardon me? How did you wind up there and not on, on the East Coast? Well, uh, I just came out here for a vacation. This is the way a lot of people end up here, I think. They come out <laughs> here just uh, to see the place, and they end up staying. Because it just, I, you know, I'm from Kansas and Wichita, from Wichita right. and Midwest, and there's just something about California that holds this fatal attraction for Midwesterners. I think I don't know what it is. Must be the ocean. I really wanted to live by the ocean. Is that kind of a part of a generational thing with the kind of a '60s utopian? Well, look that on? might have had something to do with it. Yeah. My my dad's from Toronto and uh, moved to the. Uh, West Coast very quickly when he came yeah. of the age and never looked back. So have you, have you ever been tempted to do something on the Mormon Battalion? Oh, uh, well, uh, that's not something I've read up a lot about. I know it's... Uh, well, they, they have their museum in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, I, I do know about that. I've just kind of had a vague familiarity with that. Give us a little info here, Colin. Yeah. No. Oh, uh, the Moran Battalion was formed for in the United States Army as part of the war against Mexico. And uh, they were the, one of the best disciplined units of the United States Army. They occupied San Diego in a, I think it was a pretty bloodless fight. Uh -huh. That's pretty much all I know. Oh, okay. Uh, well, Probably I'm, not I'll, an exciting troop. I'll have to find out more about that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are all kinds of historical subjects that are interesting to me, even if they don't have to do with crime and murder. Are you familiar with Jack Jackson's work? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm crazy about him, too. Yeah. Yeah, there are lots of good people uh, working in the historical mode. Do you think um, that's a format that should be more explored with comics? To um, kind of get yes, away I do, from... Definitely. I, uh, I think there's all kinds of potential there. Have it, what are some successes and failures in your mind of like things you've seen that worked really well as historical comics? Um, well, I'd have to mention the uh, the DC uh, series called the Big Books. Are you familiar with? That? Yep. Oh, I was in one. Oh, okay, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, I think they've uh, they've done a really good job of, of popularizing uh, you know, historical incidents. You know, in a comic form, uh, I uh, I think they that that's a, one really good job, and I uh, God, I have to say that I beyond that, I don't really have a lot of uh, familiarity with what's out there. Now, something I've noticed, particularly with autobiographical cartoonists, 
people who do autobiography um, very often eventually turn to writing on historical subjects. Like Chester Brown did uh, Lou Riel. Um, have you done any autobiographical work? Um, not strictly, no. I would say that uh, that piece in the Spark Generators about me and Edward Gorey is about as close to autobiography as I've ever come. Um, I don't really feel my life has been that interesting. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I've kind of made up for it. You know, a lot of the pieces I write, uh, I write in the first person. A lot of the stories I've done... Uh, like in the Lampoon and other places, uh, I, I couch it in the first person uh, just to kind of give it a feeling of intimacy and authenticity, even though it's totally made up. So that's about as close as I've come. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, we have a couple more questions. We're running close to the end of our allotted time slot here with the Ink Stud Kids. Um, I think that was it for my questions. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm feeling. I'm feeling. I, I've asked a lot of questions. I really want to thank you for taking the time. Do you have any more, Colin? Well, I was just wondering if you're familiar with the work of Sarah Vowell and why you guys haven't worked together. Oh yeah, you did mention her in an email. Uh, I know. I've I've read her book and I feel that she and I are soulmates. <laughs> I I never. And I've never known anyone who's a fan of cemeteries and uh, presidential assassinations. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to meet her and uh, work on something sometime. It's just uh, now, um, McKinley. Yeah, yeah. Are you, are you be, that's a you know his uh, assassination falls just outside of the Victorian era, so it would have to be a different series. But is that something you're interested in trying to do a book on? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one to pursue, definitely. Um, uh, the anarchist connection and mm -hmm. Goldman and that whole... Uh, those wacky anarchists. Yeah, <laughs> who knows what they'll do next. Oh, what were those two? Franco and... Oh, uh, Vincietti. Vincietti. Oh, oh uh, Sacco and Vincetti. Sacco, yeah. Sacco um, and Vincetti. Yeah. That would yeah. be good. I have my eye on their case and also... Uh, also, the Lindbergh kidnapping, uh, and the uh, and the uh, the murder of the architect Stanford White. I don't know if you know that. Uh, uh, it was featured in the the book and movie and stage. Uh, no, I don't know that story. Ragtime. Ragtime. Um, yeah, uh, uh, and uh, he was uh, murdered by the husband of uh, a former lover of his. It's a great story. On the roof of Madison Square Garden, which he designed. Oh, wow. We'll have to check that out or wait for the book. <laughs> In about ten years. Could be. In about two... <laughs> One every two years? Yeah, fair uh, well, we're, it's going to be one every year from now on, I think. Okay. They want to bring them out a little more often. So they're doing good. Do they get much play in um, the libraries and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, they've made a breakthrough into like school libraries and uh, uh, books for uh, younger readers or uh, reluctant readers is the term that they uh, so that's been something uh, that my publisher has been pursuing, and it's been pretty successful. I think. Well, that, and that's that. Uh, it's really neat. Is you you tell really mature subject matter, but you avoid mature. Um, no, there's no nudity. It's 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 anyone. It's not age restricted. Uh, not really. Saying. No. No. There's there. I, I back away from explicit gore and uh, blood, and. Uh, Sexuality, although in some of the stories there's a little sexuality that's unavoidable. Like Jack the Ripper, I guess. Yeah. Ladies of ill repute. Yes. So why do you avoid that? Is it just natural reluctance to wallow in gore? Well, it's uh, it's just my propensity toward the distance and detachment. You know, I have. You know, I'm not squeamish. I'm, I certainly don't mind it in other people's work. Um, but it's just the kind of approach that I feel natural in taking. 
Now I have a actually I have a TV question. Um, it, it, it's of the same era. I was wondering if you've seen the TV show Deadwood. Um, I've never really watched it, but I am familiar with it. I've seen clips from it because it's it's of it, well it's you know post Civil War. It's uh-huh. not necessarily Victorian because it's in the you know newfound territory of uh-huh. uh, the was it the Dakotas? I can't remember. Right? Yeah, South Dakota. But it, it, I, I highly recommend just as a as an accurate depiction and neat use of language. It's kind of Shakespearean. Uh, yeah, that's what I've heard about it. That it you know. It's, very creative uh, Western language. Well, thank you very much for uh, meeting with us. Um, you have the uh, Gumby coming out now. Is that going to be a Gumby comic or a Gumby big book anthology thing? No, this will be a 32-page comic to start out with, and then uh, then there will be a new one come out every other month is the plan. Oh, well, okay. And then we'll have a new uh, Victorian Treasury Victorian Murder. Are you going to be at San Diego? I certainly will. <laughs> Not far for you to go, eh? You're probably the only one that... <laughs> Not at all. It's within walking distance. Nice, nice. <laughs> well, we know where we're staying. Ah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can't take the time yeah. off school. <laughs> you, you, I imagine you get a lot of requests. Well, uh, stop by my table. Say hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, and thank you. Um, have a good day. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Okay. Thanks very much. Uh-huh. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Mr. Rick Geary, um, who does the Victorian murder, Treasury of Victorian Murders. Highly recommended stuff. It's out from NBM Comics Lit. Um, you can find his stuff at RX, uh, Book Emporium probably, Comic Shop, pretty damn good chance, and I'm not too sure beyond that. Maybe chapters because it is um, informative, intellectual. Check the library. Good stuff. Um, Rick, he's got a lot of history in comics as like one of those kind of post-underground, um, really neat, kind of overlooked in some aspects. I was talking to one of the guys of the comics from Victoria. He's like, wow, I don't think a lot of people ask for it. But more people should. And, and a fabulous illustrator. Fabulous illustrator. I highly recommend checking out his stuff. We have a bit of news on the show. Um, next week, we have Miriam... How do I pronounce her last name? She, she does a great comic called Jobnik, which is all about her time in the Israeli army. Good times, I've heard. Yeah, everything's really casual there, and uh, lots, of, lots of fun. Miriam Lebicki. I probably mispronounced it horribly, but I'm looking forward to it. She'll be on next week. Um, tomorrow night is the launch party for Jason Turner's new book with his, with his lady, I presume, True Love. Mm-hmm. And her name is Menian Abothma. Abothma? I hope I pronounced it right. And they're going to be launching the book at RX Comics tomorrow, uh, 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. I'll be there. I'll probably be the one to run in a corner because I'm on a break from school and I take any chance I can. It's I'm being kidding. published? Published it's by? Published by Ed Brisson's New Reliable Press. Um, local in every aspect. Go support local stuff. And also, they will be at the comic convention on Sunday, um, launching it there too. It's it's a it, it looks really nice. I've looked at some uh, pages online, and Where, it's good where's stuff. Where's the comic convention? The comic convention is at Heritage Hall at 15th and Main. I will also be making an appearance there, walking through, not spending any money because I'm so employed right now. So you'll get to see if the voice in your head from the radio matches your image. Of Robin. Well, if they mean stunningly handsome, yes, it does. But of course. But of course. So remember two things this weekend. Um, next week, Miriam, um, 18th, we're going to have uh, Jason and Menian. Menian? I haven't met her. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm probably horribly mispronouncing it, and I'm very sorry. Um, and then, who else do we have? We have some other Oh, we got kinda- some interviews we're working on. Should we mention them? Um, Spain should be coming up sometime. And Linda Medley sometime. Hopefully Linda Medley sometime. I sent an email into her. Um, we have podcasts up. If you want to listen to the Ink Studs, crowncommission.com. www.crowncommission.com. That's two M's, two S's, slash Ink Studs. I have four up right now. I will have more up as we get going. Uh, pretty much every episode. I'm not going to put up the review show where we talk about our favorite comics after during Christmas because 
I don't know. I don't think it's as excitingly topical. We'll have the Muhammad episode. We'll have all our interviews that we've done, um, including I have the Ink Studs guest book, which will have the drawings that the people have done in the guest book. Uh, they're accompanying the uh, podcast to download. You can download the MP3. Um, many thanks to Brian Fukushima and Ed Brisson of the Crown Commission for putting that together for me. Um, it's going to be dope. And uh, yeah, it's good I stuff. I guess I should, I should plug uh, my website. It moved. Yes. Yes. Because last week someone actually called up and said, Colin, congratulations on the website being up. Yeah. yeah. It needs some work. Anybody out there can give me a hand. I'd appreciate it. Uh, it needs some work, but stop that. But the website has been, it's up again. It's been relocated. Um, I think it's ColinUpton.com. I'm not sure. But if you do a web search under Upton's Universe, it should show up rather promptly. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And don't forget, Art School Confidential uh, is actually coming out. The movie by uh, Daniel Klaus and Terry Zwigoff follow up to Ghost World, Art School Confidential. I just got the book today. I will talk about it soon. There's um, a book? There's a book. Oh. You got the peanuts, I got the art school. <laughs> Colin. I don't tell Colin anything anymore. No. He just no. finds things out. So I'm going to finish off with... I checked the website to which, find things out. They the, the ink studs... <laughs> yes, don't forget inkstuds.livejournal.com is our uh, our other we have a couple of things. Um that's our other website. It's good stuff. Ink studs. Uh finish off with the last great American whale. I'm kind of going with that theme of Americana of uh, Mr. R- Mr. Rick Geary's work. Thank you very much Rick for uh listening to us and peace out, yo. They say he didn't have an enemy. This was the greatness to behold. He was the last surviving progeny, the last one on the side of the world. He measured a half mile from tip to tail, silver and black, with powerful fins. They say he could split a mountain in two. That's how he got the Grand Canyon. Last great American whale. Last great American whale. Last great American whale. Last great American whale. Some say they saw him at the Great Lakes. Some say they saw him off of Florida. My mother said she saw him in Chinatown. But you can't always trust your mother. Off the Carolinas, the sun shines brightly in the day. The lighthouse glows ghostly there at night. The chief of a local tribe had killed a racist mayor's son. He'd been on death row since 1958. The mayor's kid was a rowdy pig. Spit on Indians and lots worse. The old chief buried a hatchet in his head. Life compared to death for him seemed worse. The tribal brothers gathered in the lighthouse to sing and tried to conjure up a storm or rain. The harbor parted, the great whale sprang full up and caused a huge tidal wave. The wave crushed the jail and freed the chief. The tribe let out a roar. Whites were drowned, the browns and reds set free, but sadly one thing more. Some local yokel member of the NRA kept a bazooka in his living room. And thinking he had the chief in his sights, blew the whale's brains out with a lead harpoon. Let's great American whale. Last great American whale. Last great American whale. Last great American whale. Well, Americans don't care for much of anything. Land and water the least. And animal life is low on the totem pole. With human life not worth more than infected yeast. 
Americans don't care too much for beauty. They'll shit in a river, dump battery acid in a stream. They'll watch dead rats wash up on the beach. Complain if they can't swim. They say things are done for the majority. Don't believe half of what you see, none of what you hear. It's like what my painter friend Donald said to me. Stick a fork in their ass and turn them over, they're done.